Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for April, May and June 2012, titled Major Lessons from Minor Prophets. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 5 for April 27 to May 3. Seek the Lord and live. Amos. Sabbath afternoon, May 4. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're about to open the book of Amos again, and we thank you for the messages so far. As we do so, we pray that we may see you more, that we may seek you and live. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Amos chapter 5 and verse 14. Seek good and not evil, that you may live, and thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said. Let's read that again, Amos 5.14. Seek good and not evil, that you may live, and thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said. Our key thought for this week is, Amos reminds us that only in seeking the Lord is there life. Had Israel been true to God, he could have accomplished his purpose through their honour and exaltation. If they had walked in the ways of obedience, he would have made them high above all nations which he hath made in praise and in name and in honour. All people of the earth, said Moses, shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. The nations which shall hear all these statutes shall say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And that's Deuteronomy 26.19, 28.10 and 4 verse 6. But because of their unfaithfulness, God's purpose could be wrought out only through continued adversity and humiliation. And that's all a quote from the Desire of Ages, page 28. This week, as we continue to study the book of Amos, we will see even more of the ways in which the Lord pled with his people to put away their sins and return unto him, the only true source of life. In the end, we all have only one of two choices, life or death. There is no middle ground. Amos shows us a little more about the stark differences between these choices. Sunday, April 28. Hate evil, love good. Things had become very bad in Israel. The corruption, the oppression, the sin. The point was reached where the very survival of the nation was at stake. For this reason, Amos composed a lament to mourn the coming death of Israel. And that's found in Amos chapter 5 and verses 1 to 15. Hear this word which I take up against you, a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel has fallen. She will rise no more. She lies forsaken on her land. There is no one to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left. And that which goes out by a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. 
For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it. With no one to quench it in Bethel, you who turn justice to wormwood and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. He makes the Pleiades and Orion, he turns the shadow of death into morning, and makes the day dark at night. He calls for the waters of the sea, and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name, he rains ruin upon the strong, so that fury comes upon the fortress. They hate the one who rebukes in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken." Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Often in the prophetic books, no distinction is made between the word of the prophet and the word of the Lord. Thus, Amos's lament is also God's lament over Israel. The purpose of the funeral song in Amos 5, 1-18 was to shock the people into facing reality. If they persisted in their sins, they surely would die. If, on the other hand, they rejected evil and returned to God, they would live. The Lord's character is such that he expects conformity to the divine will. Question Read Amos 5, verses 14 and 15. How does one learn to hate the evil and love the good? Also check Hebrews 5, 14, Romans 12, 9, and Proverbs 8, 36. Well, let's have a look at those uh, two verses again. Uh, Amos 5, verses 14 and 15. Seek good and not evil, that you may live, so the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And then Isaiah, sorry, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And finally, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 36. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. Amos invited the people not just to stop seeking evil, but also to hate evil and love good. The commands in this section are progressive. The verbs of love 
Hebrew Ahav, A-H-A-V, and to hate, Sane, S-A-N-E, in the Bible often refer to decisions and actions, not simply to feelings and attitudes. In other words, a change in the people's attitudes will lead to change in their actions. Question. In this context, what warning is found in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In the book Acts of the Apostles, written by Ellen G. White, page 431, we read, All who in that evil day would fearlessly serve God according to the dictates of conscience will need courage, firmness, and a knowledge of God and His Word. For those who are true to God will be persecuted, their motives will be impugned, their best efforts misinterpreted, and their names cast out as evil. Satan will work with all his deceptive power to influence the heart and becloud the understanding, to make evil appear good and good evil. So, to finish today, how can we learn to love the good and hate the evil if we can be deceived into calling evil good and good evil? What is our only protection against this deception? April 29. Religion as usual. Question. Read Amos chapter 5 verses 23 and 24 and Hosea 6 6 and Matthew 9 13 and Psalm 51 17. What are these texts saying? More important, how can the principles here be applied directly to our own spiritual life today as Seventh-day Adventists? That is, in what ways might we be guilty of doing exactly what is warned about here? Remember, too, that it is very easy to be self-deceived in this area. Well, first of all, Amos chapter 5 and verses 23 and 24. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. And... We'll then look at Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, we read Jesus saying, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then in Psalm chapter 51, verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. More than most other books of the Bible, Amos focuses on injustice, cruelty and inhumanity. It also offers the divine perspective on such practices. Amos preached that God despised the empty rituals of the people's dead formalism, and he called upon them to reform. The Lord was not pleased by outward and empty forms of worship offered to him by those who at the same time were oppressing others for the sake of personal gain. 
Their lives reveal that they missed the whole point of what it means to be followers of Yahweh. They also totally misunderstood the deeper meaning of his law. Indeed, God rejected their religious rituals because they did not flow from lives of faith. The climactic words in Amos 5, 14 and 15 are the command to seek the Lord and live. Seeking the Lord is contrasted with making pilgrimages to the famous religious centres in Bethel, Gilgal and Beersheba, as in Amos chapter 5, verse 5, three cities with sanctuaries that were destined for destruction. What God really wanted was justice and righteousness in the land. The command to seek the Lord parallels the one to seek good. The Lord calls on the remnant to distance themselves from evil practices and religious formalism and instead to let justice flow like a river and righteousness flow like a never-failing stream. While justice concerns the establishment of what is right before God, righteousness is the quality of life in relationship to God and others in the community. The picture presented here is that of a religious people whose religion had degraded into nothing but forms and rites without the change of heart that must accompany true faith. We find that in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 16. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. How careful we must be. Tuesday, April 30, Call to be a Prophet Amos's home was Tekoa in Judah, but God sent him to prophesy in Israel. He had gone to the northern kingdom and preached with such power that the land was not able to bear all his words, as we read in Amos 7.10. Certainly, many Israelites looked at Amos with suspicion and rejected him as God's messenger. In spite of that rejection, he faithfully performed his prophetic ministry. Question. Read Amos chapter 7, verses 10 to 17. What familiar pattern is seen here? What other examples can you find in the Bible of the same thing happening? What should we learn from all these examples? Well, we'll just read Amos chapter 7, verses 10 to 17. Then Amaziah... The priest of Bethel went to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah, there eat bread, and there prophesy. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder, and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not spout against the house of Isaac. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be a harlot in the city, your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword, your land shall be divided by survey line, you shall die in a defiled land, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from his own land. Among those who did not like Amos' preaching was Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, who accused Amos of conspiracy against Israel's king. Bethel was one of two royal sanctuaries, the very centres of apostate worship. Amos had predicted in public that if Israel did not repent, its king would die by the sword and the people would be led away captive. Amaziah ordered Amos to go back to the land of Judah, where his messages against Israel would be more popular. In his response to the priest, Amos affirmed that his prophetic call came from God. He claimed that he was not a professional prophet who could be hired for services. Amos distanced himself from professional prophets who prophesied for gain. However, speaking the truth by no means guarantees acceptance, because the truth can at times be uncomfortable and... If it disturbs those in power, it can produce serious opposition. God's call compelled Amos to preach so openly and so boldly against the sins of the king and the nobility from the northern kingdom that he was accused of treason. To finish the day, what is our attitude when told that our actions or our lifestyles are sinful and will bring punishment upon us? What does our answer tell us about ourselves and about perhaps the need for a change of heart and attitude? Wednesday, May 1 the worst type of famine. Amos 8, 11 and 12 read, The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Question. How are we to understand the meaning of of these verses. In Amos chapter 8, the prophet describes devastating effects of God's judgment on unrepentant Israel. God will punish the people for their sins by sending famine upon the land. But in verses 11 and 12, the prophet speaks of hunger and thirst for God's word. The tragedy that will stand out above all others is a famine of God's word because God will be silent and no other famine could be worse. Often, when the people of Israel experienced great distress, they would turn to the Lord for a prophetic word in hope of guidance. This time, God's answer will consist of silence. A part of God's judgment on his people will be the Lord's withdrawal of his word through his prophets. If God's people continue to be disobedient, the prophet says, the time will come when they will be eager to hear the message, but it will be too late to turn to God's word in hope of escaping the judgment. This is the result of Israel's persistent refusal to hear God's message through Amos. Like Saul, before his last battle, as recorded in 
1 Samuel 28 verse 6, the people will one day come to realise how much they need God's word. And the verse reads, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams, or by Urim, or by the prophets. An entire population will frantically search for God's word, the same word that they chose to ignore in the prophet's time. Those especially affected will be the young. While the former generations hear God's word and rejected it, the young people never will have the opportunity to hear the prophetic proclamation. Question. What do the following passages teach us about the dire effects of the silence of God? First of all, 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 37. So Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Psalm chapter 74 and verse 9. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, nor is there any among us who knows how long. And Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 28. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. And Lamentations chapter 2 and verse 9. And that reads, Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the nations. The law is no more, and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. And Hosea chapter 5 and verse 6. With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. And Micah chapter 3 and verses 5 to 7. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets, who make my people stray, who chant peace, while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him, who puts nothing into their mouths, therefore you shall have night without vision, and you shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. So the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. To finish the day, in what ways is it possible to silence the voice of God in our lives? However scary that thought, dwell on the implications. How can we make sure that never happens to us? Thursday, May 2, Judah's Ruins Restored The prophet turns from the dark picture of the people's sinfulness and the resulting judgments to the glorious promises of the future restoration in Amos chapter 9, verses 11 to 15. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the ploughman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. The day of the Lord, previously described as the day of punishment in Amos 5.18, is now a day of salvation because salvation, not punishment, is God's last word to his people. However, salvation will come after punishment, not instead of it. Amid all the gloom and doom, Amos does close his book with a message of hope. Facing the prospect of an immediate exile, David's dynasty has fallen so low that it can no longer be called a house but a hut. But David's kingdom will be renewed and united under one ruler. Beyond Israel's borders, other nations will call on God's name and enjoy his blessings along with Israel. The book concludes on this happy and hopeful note. Biblical prophets did not teach that God's punishment is for punishment's sake itself. Behind almost all the warnings is the call of redemption. Though the threat of exile was imminent, the Lord encouraged the remnant with the promise of restoration to the land. The remnant would enjoy the renewal of the covenant. Those who experienced the judgment would see God acting to save and restore. Question. What is the ultimate fulfilment of Amos's promises about the restoration of God's people? First of all, look at Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Acts chapter 15 verses 13 to 18. And after they had become silent, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people by his name. And with the words of the prophets agree that, as it is written, After this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Many Jewish teachers regarded Amos chapter 9 verse 11 as a messianic promise given to Abram, reaffirmed to David, and expressed throughout the Old Testament. The new king from David's line will reign over many nations in fulfilment of God's promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, which reads, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. 
I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The Messiah will reign even over enemies such as Edom. The restored ruins of God's people never again will be destroyed. Through the coming of Jesus Christ, David's greatest son, God upheld his gracious promise. James quoted this passage from Amos to show that the door of salvation is open to Gentiles to enjoy a full share of covenant privileges entrusted to the church. God would offer his redemptive blessings to Jews and Gentiles in the promised Messiah, the offspring of both Abram and David. So, to finish today. The ultimate fulfilment of these promises is to everyone who accepts them, Jew or Gentile, will be seen only at the second coming. How can we keep that hope and promise alive and not let it fade amid the stresses of life? Friday, May 3. From the book Desire of Ages, page 239, we read, Our standing before God depends not upon the amount of light we have received, but upon the use we make of what we have. Thus, even the heathen who choose the right as far as they can distinguish it are in a more favourable condition than are those who have had great light and profess to serve God, but who disregard the light and by their daily life contradict their profession. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week, and they are long. One, as a class, go over your answers to Sunday's question about learning to hate evil and love good, as well as the danger of calling evil good and good evil. Why is this danger especially prevalent when culture and society start to change their values in ways that accept certain behaviours, lifestyles and attitudes that are clearly are condemned in the Bible? As individuals and even as a church as a whole, we are not immune to the cultural and societal trends in which we are immersed, are we? Dwell on the changes that have happened in your own culture and society over the years. For example... What things that were once considered shameful and taboo now openly are expressed and practiced, even deemed good or at least not wrong? How have these changes impacted the church's attitude toward these acts? What can we do in order to protect ourselves and our church from falling into the dangerous trap of calling evil good? At the same time, what cultural changes for the good have impacted the church in a good way, a way that more closely reflects the principles of love and acceptance revealed by Jesus' life? Two, dwell more on this idea of a famine for the word of God. What is the likely way that could come about? Does the Lord purposely hide truth from people, or is that people's attitudes make them totally unreceptive to the word of the Lord? Or could it be both, or something else entirely? Discuss this. 3. As Seventh-day Adventists, who live with so much light and have so many reasons to believe in the truths that we have been given, 
Are we not in danger of thinking that our knowledge of these wonderful truths alone is all that we need? How should the truths with which we have been blessed impact the way in which we live and interact with others, not only in the church, but in our community? In other words, how can we live out the truths with which we have been entrusted? Why is it so important that we do? And that brings us to Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled, One More Door. Anatoly was tired. He had been working for hours to share pamphlets and Bible study cards in his assigned territory with little success. He wanted to go home, but he had promised God that he would visit every home he could, so he continued to work. Anatoly, 13, lives in Moldova, a small country west of Russia. His shoulders slumped as he approached the last house on the road. He whispered a prayer and knocked on the door. He heard voices inside and thought the family had guests. But before he could leave, the door swung open and a woman invited him in. She removed some papers from a chair and invited Anatoly to sit down. She offered him some tea and introduced him to her twelve children. Anatoly shook off his surprise and offered the family a book and a Bible enrolment card. The woman seemed pleased to have the booklet. They visited for a few minutes before Anatoly stood to leave. The woman invited him to come again. As Anatoly walked away, he was glad he had gone to that last house. He decided to visit the family again. When Anatoly returned to see the family, they seemed cautious. He invited them to attend evangelistic meetings at the church, and Natasha, the eldest daughter, wanted to go. But the parents gently refused his invitation. So, when Anatoly saw Natasha, her brother, Vania, and sister Lena at the meetings, he was surprised. Did your parents change their mind and let you come? Not exactly, Natasha said. We told mother that we were going for a walk, but I've learned so much tonight. I want to come back, but I don't know whether my parents will allow us. Anatoly promised to pray that they could attend the meetings. Natasha, Vania and Lena attended the meetings, but their parents refused to allow them to attend church on Sabbath. Yet the three had learned about the importance of the Sabbath and were determined to keep God's holy day. Natasha told her parents simply, God is God. He wants our worship all the time, not just once or twice a year. What he commands, we must do. The children worked hard to finish their chores by Friday so they could worship on Sabbath. Natasha asked to be baptized, and Vania and Lena joined Pathfinders. The children were such good examples at home that their parents agreed they could attend church. They even took their younger brothers and sisters. Anatoly is glad that he did not ignore that last house on the road. Because he was faithful, another family met the Saviour. Our mission offerings help provide funds for evangelism at home and around the world. This reading has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. 
It is worth remembering that God is always faithful.